Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. Twenty twenty two is here. Newsflash: God is still on the throne. Amen. You know, when I preach, I need you guys. I need your feedback. Okay, so feel free to say Amen. Feel free to say Hallelujah. Feel free to stand up and dance, you know. Hey, if that happens, we'll get Pastor back up here and we'll play some music and keep going from there. So anyway, so I wanted to speak today about some basic, what I call Christianity 101. And it's something that if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you probably know this. But let me tell you something. I reviewed it. I went back to it. And it blessed my heart. It blessed my heart. And I prayed all week about that and I believe that that this is something that not only blessed me, but it will bless you. Amen? Amen? So today I'm going to talk about the finished work of Christ and how we are to rest on that work. You know, I grew up, and when I, when I mention examples like this, of course I'm talking about my family, my experience. Your experience might be different. But I grew up in Puerto Rico in a very Catholic Latin environment. In the way I grew up, in order to please God, you had to do And when you didn't, God was mad at you. So if you did good, you felt good. If you did good, you felt like a believer, like a son of God. If you did bad, you felt like a heathen. So it was always about this, this going to confess weekly, confess, pray, do this. Because you know what? That's the way I was taught. That God was standing behind the door with a big nightstick. Just waiting for you to mess up. So he could slam you over the head with it. So... Because of that work mentality, a lot of times it's hard to realize, you know, the, the finished work of the cross and how we can rest on that. And, and that works mentality, I call that the, the insanity of religion. And, and that's what it is. It's an insanity. Now, please, when I speak about this, when I talk today, I'm not saying that we don't do anything as a believer. Because we do. And I will mention that through the message. That what we do or our works should be the fruit of our salvation and not the root of our salvation. Our works are not why we got saved. Our works is what we do now because of Christ and he lives in us. Amen. So 2022 is here and we're going to learn to rest in the Lord and learn what he's done for us. And you know why he did all that for you? You know, it's okay if you answer too. why. Why did he did all that? Huh? Because he loves you. Isn't that awesome? For God demonstrated his love towards us. Why? That Christ died for us. That's amazing. And that's the beauty of the love of God. All right. I'm going to start with the book of John, and uh, where Jesus is being arrested, he's been betrayed, he's been beaten, and he's now at the cross. And I think it's important that we look at the last words that he said. Amen? And like I said, these verses are powerful, and they're famous, but man, it really changes your life. It will change your life if you take it. And I'm going to John chapter 19, verse 28 through 30. And every verse I got here today, number one is King James Version. I'm sorry, New King James. My wife is the King Jamers. I'm not. I, don't, I can't say the thousand of these. So it's King James. And, and please forgive me. They're not going to be on the screen. So here you got to really listen and pay attention. Okay. Uh, I, call, I, t- I texted Pastor Randy yesterday. I said, I'm sorry. I didn't send you any scriptures. But I changed the scriptures around so many times that if I would have sent it to him, it would have been five or six different times that he would have had to change it. So we're just going to do it here by faith. After this, John chapter 19, verse 28 says, this is after his arrest, like I said. He was crucified. He's about to expire. After this, 
Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. And that's the verse you need to highlight in your scripture. Knowing that all things, okay, all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine. They put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. That is a powerful scripture. Knowing that all things were now accomplished. And I want to come from this verse right here and give you five points of what was accomplished on the cross. And like I said, if you've been a believer for a while, it's review time. Hallelujah. Expiation, and, and some of these words, me being Puerto Rican and speaking, speaking Spanish, some of these words are hard for me to say, but, and I didn't even know the, the true meaning of some of them. I, I, know, what, I know what propitiation is. You see how much fun that word is? I know what that means because we studied that in Bible schools and stuff like that, but some of these words, it's like, man, I got to look at the definitions. And you'll hear a lot of definitions today because I needed to know what I was talking about. So say, uh, saying that all things were accomplished and fulfilled, he said, it is finished. He accomplished expiation. We're going to talk about that. Propitiation, reconciliation, that's easier to say. Redemption and the defeat over the power of darkness. Now, I want you to take these five points and really listen to what Jesus did in the cross. Expiation is the blotting out or the removal of sin. Okay, we're not talking about covering your sin. We're talking about the removal of your sin, the blotting out. John 1.29 says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, that what? That takes away the sins of the world. Not the Lamb of God that covers your sin for a little bit, but the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Or like my wife would say, that taketh away the sins of the world. I love it. I mean, King James is powerful, but for me it's too difficult. So he takes away the sins of the world. To take away that phrase in the Greek means to remove, but listen to this, to appropriate. That's another hard word for me. To appropriate, that means to make it your own. Think about that for a minute. The sinless son of God. To appropriate, to take exclusive possession of, to make it for your own, to take it for your own. The perfect Lamb of God, He took away your sin, He removed your sin, he, he destroyed the sin in your life. Not only did He took our sins, but He made Him His own. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He made Him, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This is called the great exchange. We call that, okay? Think about that. Jesus Christ, when he expiated your, I don't know if I'm saying it right. When he took your sins, he removed your sins, he made them his own. So therefore, and we're going to talk about this as we proceed. Therefore, you and I cannot be judged for our sins anymore. Only two people said something. Come on. I mean, I want you to think about it. I come from a criminal justice background. I, like Carmen, I was a police officer much younger when I was uh, in my 20s and 30s. And then after two back surgeries, I left the field. And I, I do PI work now. But 
in the criminal justice system, we understand that when somebody has been judged and sentenced for that crime, regardless if it was found guilty or not, you can't charge them again. Double, double jeopardy has applied. So let me tell you something. Jesus Christ was charged for your sin. Right. So why are you dragging your sin around? Why are you condemn? And I spoke about that the last time I preached. Why are you condemning yourself for your sin that he already paid for? God can never, listen to this, God can never bring you to his presence and say, Hey, this is what you did. Amen. He can't. He already charged one and only one time to take your sins away. That's expiation. Come on, say hallelujah, somebody. I mean, we can stop right here, go home and just rejoice, you know. I don't know if I'm going to need that chair, man. <laughs> I'm having too much fun. But anyway, so this is good. I mean, through his death, through expiation, Jesus removed our guilt and our sin. It is done. It is finished. It is finished. Hallelujah. Point number two. The hardest word for me to say. Propitiation. Okay? Just remember that. I don't want to try to say it too much. <laughs> this word means to pacify. To conciliate. It's an appeasing. Propitiation. It's, it's to conciliate, to pacify, and expiation removed your sin. Propitiation refers to the removal of God's wrath upon you. So first he removed your sin and the death when he said it is finished. Then, now he removes God's wrath from your life. Woo, come on. Amen. That's removed, the wrath of God. We are now friends of God. We are now children of God. His wrath can no longer come to us. Amen. You know, <laughs> sideline here, a lot of times bad things happen to us, amen? amen? And a lot of times I hear believers saying, man, this is happening to me because of my sin. God is punishing me for what I did. God is punishing me for what I did. God is punishing me for what I did. Can I tell you something? You live in a broken world. A broken world full of sin, hatred, disgust. I mean, you name it, it's out there. Your life is affected by that broken world. That's why you get sick. That's why you, you break your leg or whatever happens to you. That's why sometimes people run into your car. It's not because you sinned. Now, yes, maybe it's happening because you did something stupid. Amen. Hey, let's be real. If you go to a bar on a Friday night at 2 o'clock and get totally wasted, and you drive home, get pulled over, and you get arrested for DUI, don't say God is punishing me. No, you made a stupid decision of getting drunk and driving, and that's why you're at the county jail now. So, you know, you got to take that. Remember that. Oh, where was I? I don't know. <laughs> Happens to me all the time. I get up here, I get excited, and then I come back to my notes, and it's like, what's going on? Hey, I, I, I'm serious, man. And I've been there before, but you actually mope, and you go like, I wonder what I did to deserve this. But you got to really realize what's going on. Did I, I mentioned appropriation, and I mentioned, let's continue. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know if I said Romans, I mean... 1 John 2.2, but 1 John 2.2 says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours only, but also for the whole world. I love this scripture right here, Romans 3.25-26. through 26. If you heard me speak before, you know Romans is my favorite book. And this is a powerful scripture. Listen to this. Romans 3.25-26 and 26 says, That God displayed Christ publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness and because of his forbearance, 
for the, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of him who has faith in Jesus. I, I had to look this word up, okay? I have to be honest. I didn't know what forbearance really meant. And I run into that a lot in the Bible. Thank God for Google, right? <laughs> forbearance is a refraining from enforcement. Think about that. Come on. Patience. God, in his patience, passed over the sins previously committed. God withheld his wrath upon us, knowing that Christ was going to die for us. Because you got to remember this. God exists outside of time. See, me and you, we have a date of birth. You know, we, we have a date of, you know, when we, we die, you're going to have a birth certificate, a death certificate, okay? All that, we understand that. But to be outside of time, which God is, you know, and I don't understand it because I got a mind just like you and I do, you know. I don't understand it all, but the way I see it is that God has this, this table before him. And remember, Genesis says that he created in the first seven days and then he rested, right? I truly believe that he created everything he was ever going to create. Now, he may not have brought it already into existence, but it's created because he sat down. He says, I'm finished, and I rested. But anyway, that's for another day. But, uh, I mean, think about it. He, knowing already, because, it, like I said, it's a table, he sees creation from day one, and he sees creation all throughout. And it's not like he's got to run to the past. No, it's all, all before him. I mean, he's God, and this is why he's so hard to sometimes comprehend, because how can you comprehend a mind or a God like that, a spirit like that with the mind that we have. Yeah. I mean, do you realize that God never gets any ideas? <laughs> Think about it. God never walks around and says, aha! <laughs> he knows everything. Amen. So how can he have any new ideas? I mean, and, and you see, that, that, that just like blows your mind off. And that's why you can't think about that. But in his all knowing, in his forbearance, he knew. As he sees everything, Jesus, like the Bible says, before the foundations of the world, he was crucified. Why? Because in the mind of God, it happened already. So he saw everything. So he withheld his anger from you and I because of the grace that he was about to give us. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Know that, not that we love God, oh, but that he loved us and sent his son as propitiation or pacifier for our sins. Ain't that awesome? Woo! Come on, ain't that awesome? You, I got, you got to keep, stay awake with me here. Point number three, reconciliation. Okay? Whereas expiation refers to the removal of our sin, propitiation refers to the removal of God's wrath, reconciliation refers to the removal of our alienation from God. Because of our sins, we were alienated or separated from God. But when Adam sinned, we were all alienated from God. Christ's death removed this alienation and thus reconciled us to himself. Wow. Amen. Yes. Can I say the remainder of this in Spanish? Because it's... <laughs> yeah, Spanglish, man, that's what I'm doing. Because some of these words are... And, and, and you know, when you read it at, at your house in preparation, you're not verbalizing it, so you don't realize how hard... <laughs> you're just reading... <laughs> then once you start talking, it's like... <laughs> You know, but praise God. Hey, you know me. Christ. Hallelujah. Yes. Woo. So reconciliation. We're no longer alienated or separated from God. Second Corinthians 5.18 says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. 
through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I'm not preaching on the ministry of reconciliation today, but let me tell you something. That's been given to us. When you run into somebody in the streets and you pray, Father God, I pray that somebody brings the gospel to that young man sitting over there. God stands there and goes, duh, you're standing there, dude. Yeah. So anyway, that's a ministry of reconciliation. That's up to us to bring it out. That's for another day. Colossians 1, 19 through 22 says, For it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him were the things on earth or things in heaven. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled you in the body of his flesh through the death. To presently to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Did you know that you're holy? Did you know that you're holy? Did you know that you're blameless? It's hard to say amen to that, ain't it? Stop looking at yourself in the mirror. Come on. Yeah, I I tell you guys, it's not easy. And, And this is everyday church for everyday people, right? And we are real. I mean, you look at yourself in the mirror, you know, that's kind of like, I'm not saying you actually stand in front of the mirror, but you know yourself better than anybody. So when you stand and you say, I am blameless before God, the devil goes, (laughs) right? Well, this is why this is so important that we understand the finished work of Christ on that cross. See, when you come to Jesus, you are in Christ. Have you ever been in your car? Come on. So when you are in your car, you're still there, but your car is the one that people see driving around. When you're in Christ, you're in Christ. Christ is in you. You are in Christ, and that's everything that the Father sees. That's why you can say, I am blameless. That's why you can say, I am holy, because of what he has done for you. So he presents you holy, blameless, and above reproach. Hallelujah. Point number four, and we got many more to go after five. I'll make some, don't worry. (laughs) Number four, redemption. Okay? So you had expiation, the removal of sin. Propitiation, the removal of wrath. Reconciliation, we are now friends of God. And of course, redemption. They all go together. Our sins, they put us in captivity. And we needed to be delivered. We needed to be ransomed. To say that Christ's death accomplished redemption for us means that it accomplished deliverance from our captivity through the payment of a price. A price had to be paid because God is a righteous judge. A price had to be paid. There are three things that we had to be released from. The curse of the law, the guilt of sin, and the power of sin over us. And on the cross, he did it all. There's no longer a curse on you. There's no longer guilt in you. This is why Romans can say in chapter 8, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. We are redeemed. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. 
So number one, expiation. Number two, the propitiation word. Number three, reconciliation. Number four, redemption. And number five, the defeat over the power of darkness. Isn't that nice? I mean, outside of Christ, the, the devil beats the daylights out of you every day. But in Christ, sometimes you let him too, right? And that's why we need to know the finished work of Christ. Because Christ's death was a defeat of the power of Satan. Yes. Satan's only weapon that could ultimately hurt people is unforgiven sin. Think about that. As long as you are unforgiven and you're outside of Christ, Satan's got you. But once you come, as it says in Romans 10, 9, that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you enter into covenant with your Savior, yes, your sin is judged. Yes, sir. You're done. And by the way, I love that scripture. You know why? Because it says, when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, study that word. To confess means to come into agreement with. Yes, sir. You come into agreement with God yes, that you're lost without him. You come into agreement with God that he is God and you're not. You come into agreement with God that Jesus Christ died for your sin. And therefore you need him as a savior. And then because you confess with your mouth, you came into agreement. Now you're saved. Hallelujah. So the defeat over the power of darkness has been done on the cross. Whew, everything we need. Colossians 3.15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities. Aren't you glad about that? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Colossians 2.13 and 14 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Everything that you ever did was in that tablet of your sin that Jesus wiped out and nailed it to the cross. That is powerful and that is amazing. So, because of, of what he did on that cross, the scriptures talk about entering into his rest. And, and Pastor Randy is going to bring some powerful messages through this year. He's going to be talking about the Sabbath, and about why God made it for you to rest. And we're not talking about condemnation Sabbath, okay? We're talking about living in the rest of Christ. And he's going to cover that in depth later. But, but I want to talk about entering into that rest but before I do that, I, I want to make sure that I finish what I was saying about that scripture in John because, you know, as I'm going through the five points, I never mention about what it really means in the Greek when it says, it is finished. Isn't that great for notes that you have notes so you can remember what you've done, yes. or what you're supposed to do? <laughs> so going back to John 19, he says, it is finished. From the Greek, okay, and the word theleo or thetelestai, the, the it says, to perform the last act that completes a process. Amen. When Jesus says it is finished, he was performing the last act that would complete a process. And he did. And that's why we are redeemed. When he said it is finished, why did he say that? Because everything that needed to be done to satisfy the payment for humanity's sin was done. But how come we're still trying to earn God's approval? You know what I'm talking about? Come on, guys. Why do we still, you know, we're not, we're listening to the wrong words. We got to make sure that we understand that it is finished. That when you come to Christ, you are saved. And yes, good works are great to do. I understand that. But we got to make sure we understand that. That it is finished means that Christ satisfied God's, ju God's justice. 
And it is done. Case closed. Amen. Case closed. You know, you got you to gotta be able to stand up against the enemy and say, uh-uh, case closed. Christ died for all your sin. But you know what the problem we have? And, and I get this from talking to different believers. You have no problem believing that God forgave all your past sin. But you have a problem believing that he's going to forgive your future ones. Hmm. Think about that for a minute. Because let's be honest. You came to church today, January 2nd. You, you worship, you praise, you know, you, you feel good about Jesus. Raise your hands. Hallelujah. You said, Father, thank you that you forgave all my sins. You know what I did last week, last month, last year, whatever. But then when you walk out of here and the temptation starts coming and you do something stupid or you lie to somebody or you get angry, whatever it is. And guess what? You feel great about your past sins that he has forgiven. But wait a minute. I did it again. And we have a problem receiving that, that he died for your past, for your present, and for your future sins. You remember the God that I'm talking about, that he sees everything? He's outside of time. He saw what you did last week, and he saw what you did at your deathbed. He saw what you did in the middle of your marriage. He has seen it all. And he still said, I choose you. Come on. Come on, guys. I mean, that is powerful. This is the kind of stuff that changes my life. Because, I mean, he's such an awesome God. Amen. And at times like that, we just got to worship him. And like Pastor was saying, his presence, his presence. When you learn to rest in his presence, oh, how sweet, how sweet it is. Hallelujah. You want to know the only work that you really need to do? Believe. The Bible says... In John 6, 29, this is the work of God. This is Jesus speaking. That you believe in the one he sent. Believe. Believe. Everything else is a fruit of that. Hallelujah. Be like Mary, not like Martha. Isn't that awesome example? Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and she rejoiced in his presence. Martha's back there cooking, going nuts, you know. (laughs) Missing out everything. And again, I'm not saying you should not cook. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, pick your stuff. What goes first? Cooking is fine, I'm sure. Sooner or later, yeah, Mary, you can. Sooner or later, Mary would have probably got in there and helped Martha after. But Mary knew what she wanted. Mary knew what was best. So remember this in a quick summary. You are dead to sin. And you are now alive in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, see, the life that I now walk in, the life that I now have, the life that I'm doing every single day, 24 hours at a time, I walk it how? I walk it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You have been crucified. That word crucified means impaled. You're dead. I remember one time I was uh, speaking to a bunch of youth in, in a youth ministry. This is way back in the 90s when I started helping out another church with youth ministry. And they asked me to bring a little something. And we picked a student and we told the student, you got to play to be dead. So we brought him forward. We put him on a table. We laid him down. And I told him, I said, when I lay you down on that table, you are dead. He played it real well, by the way. <laughs> But, 
but we, we brought temptation before him. We got angry with him. We did all kinds of stuff to get him rowdy, you know, routed and get him, get him up, get him upset. But he never reacted because he was dead. And we brought that example about being dead to sin. And you see, when you come to Christ and you receive his grace, you learn to fight the temptation. You learn to stand against the Amen. wicked schemes of the enemy. Amen? So that's why you got to remember, you are dead, crucified, dead to sin. You're dead to, the, to, to dead works. You're dead to condemnation. Okay? You're alive now in Christ. And look, when he says, lives in me, I'm not a grammar kind of guy. So you probably know. I thank God because when I type my reports in English, <laughs> you have that automatic thing that it shows you in red, red lines what you misspelled. I got to go back through my report and fix so many words because, oh, I don't know what's spelled like that. I'm spelling it the way I think in Spanish and English is mixed up together, you know? So I, I spell something. I, oh, that doesn't have, okay. So I got to fix it. So, so I looked, uh, and it says that the word in, when you Christ is in me, it's a primary preposition. And those of you guys who know grammar, primary preposition denoting fixed position. You are fixed in Christ. Nobody can move you. Amen. That's something you got to eat. That's something you got to digest. Because that's when you got to stand up and tell the enemy who you are in Christ. I am in a fixed position. Devil, you can't touch me. Hallelujah. Now that I am fixed in Christ, I brought a couple points real quick. But what it says, now we're in Christ, what we have been given. Check this out. We've been given fullness and abundance of Christ. A new identity, a new spirit in Christ. Every spiritual blessings. We have the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. We have self-control. We have the mind of Christ. We have unlimited grace, unlimited grace and power to meet any test, trial, or temptation. We have a deep, solid, and unshakable foundation that is rooted in God's love. Woo! We have abundance, wholeness, completeness, health prosperity, success in every arena of our life. That's just a few things that you have in Christ. And I mean, this is the times that you sh- that gets you excited. I mean, this is the good news of the gospel, and this is the simplicity of the gospel. We make the gospel so hard for people. I mean, sometimes you, you, you see somebody that comes forward, and they pray, and they say, I want Jesus, and the first thing we do is like, well, you need to quit this, you need to quit that, you need to stop doing this, you need to start doing that. And a lot of them walk away. Because, I mean, that we don't explain to them the simplicity of the gospel first. Because remember, the Bible says that Jesus is divine. We are the branches. When the vine is healthy, which he always is, the branches will produce fruit. So if you hook up to Jesus Christ, the fruit will come. You know, I, I hate it when you go to a church and people look at you dirty because after service you're outside smoking a cigarette. You know, oh, well, Jesus redeemed me from cigarette smoking, so that guy's a heathen. You know what I'm saying? We need to move beyond that and preach the gospel in its simplicity and have people come to Christ, surrender to Christ, bow down before the master, learn to sit in front of him, learn to rest in him. And when we do that, the fruit will come. Hallelujah. So make sure that you, you concentrate on that. Just being before him. Now, because we are starting, because we have reviewed the finished work in the cross, now I want to learn to rest on that. To rest in his presence like Mary did. Because as you know, if, uh, in the Bible is full of types and shadows. We see so many types and shadows in the Old Testament. 
that applied to the new. We see Jesus all over the Old Testament. He was the rock that went with them, you know, the, that gave them water. We see, we see Jesus Christ represented through the high priest. We see Jesus Christ represented by the sacrificial lamb. We see him all over the place. So we see that the people of Israel, after 430 years of servitude in Egypt, they prayed and prayed and prayed, and God brought them a Savior, which is a Christ type, Moses. And Moses took them out of Egypt. But you and I know, if you read the story, that most of them died in the desert because they did not believe, okay? They, they did not believe the promises of God. They did not believe God. They wanted to go back, you know? And most of them died, except for a couple, and the new generations went into the promised land. So then Hebrews tells us that there still remains a rest for us. And there's two ways of rest, okay? The first of them, if, of course, you come into Christ, you have rest in eternity. We understand that. But the second rest, which is the main one that I'm going to proceed with here right now, is now, while here. How do I rest in Christ so that the madness of the world doesn't drive me crazy? Hebrews 4.9 says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent or let us labor to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And then Hebrews 3.19 says, So we see that they, speaking about Israel, could not enter because of unbelief. This is why it's so important we understand the finished work of the, Christ, of, the, of the cross. This is why it's so important we understand that when we come to Jesus, what we are receiving and how we are coming into agreement with Him, so that now we can, because of our belief, and we will not be found in unbelief, we can enter that rest. To enter the rest means to cease from your own works. Remember what I said at the beginning. I'm not talking about the good works that come from salvation, what you do because who you are now. But I'm talking about dead works, the works that we try to justify ourselves before the Father. So to enter His rest means to cease from your own works and to rest in His promises. But you notice in the verse that it says, let us labor to enter that rest. Amen? Have you ever, have you ever woke up in the morning and said, you know what? I'm going to get on my knees for an hour and pray. And your phone rang. Uh, Facebook dingy dingy went off or, or, or you know you got distracted oh let me just check the news for five minutes before you know it oh you know about what's going on everywhere in the world oh I gotta go to work so you see we need to make sure that's the labor that we must fight we must labor to enter into that rest you need to fight the flesh you need to make time for God and all those things as, that you will learn as you surrender to him so that's why we labor but you can enter because you're not an unbelief. Once you believe, remember what the Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please God? You must believe. And that verse also says, and I got it right here, it says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is real and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I'm going to read you a, a scripture here in Matthew 11 that I have read tons of times. You know how you get into the Bible, you get in the Gospels, you read the Gospels over and over, or, or a letter from Paul, whatever, and, and you get more or less what they're saying, but you don't really get it all. And man, this scripture really talked to me this week. And this is how we get those two rests from God. We're going to cover that. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, it says, Come to me. We talked about that, okay? <laughs> Confess and come into Christ. Come to me, all who you labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give, think about that, hold that in your mind, I will give you rest. Okay, remember, rest is to cease from any labor, to refresh, to keep calm and patient. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I, when I read the scriptures in the past, I missed the fact that he was talking about two different kinds of rest. And that one rest is given. He says, come unto me and I shall give you rest. That's your eternal salvation. You are secured in him and you are to rest in that. But the other rest is found. Wow. That rocked, I mean, that rocked my world when I saw that for the first time. He says, learn from me. And you will find rest. Wow. So how do I learn from him? I mean, I'm looking at people who are Christians for many years, and you probably say like, duh. <laughs> the Bible, right? So this rest, you, you come to him. And when you come to him, you have the peace of God. But now when you hang out with him, when you learn from him, you have that rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest. You guys know what a yoke is? I kind of knew, but I did some deeper study because I really didn't get it. You know, I've never seen two beasts yoked together, nothing like that. It's just something that, you know how sometimes you just read the Bible to read the Bible so that you can say, I read three chapters today. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's what, hey, 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 All everyday people, we got to be honest with each other, right? So sometimes you just read the scripture and you're like, hey, I'm done for the day, yes. You didn't soap it, right? No soap. No observation. No application. You just washed yourself with it. I went on. So I guess you soaped yourself, right? So anyway, a yoke, for those of you who grew up in a city in Puerto Rico like me and never seen anything like that, a yoke is a wooden beam, big, big, heavy beam, that is used to get two oxen together, okay? To pull together as one. I don't know if you ever had any animals, but... From what I've read and heard from other people, some animals can be pretty stubborn. And if you just get two oxen together, one rope here, one rope there, they may go in two different directions. But when you yoke them together, they got to work as one. A yoke, listen to this, a yoke is always made for two, never for one. Jesus says, come. Jesus says, yoke yourself with me. Amen. Learn from me. Yes. Amen. To be yoked is to stop running your life. To be yoked is to surrender. Because when you yoke two oxen together, the one who decides which way they're going is the guy running the set of two. Yes. When the father is running the yoke where you and Christ are, you are in God's perfect will then. Yes. And then you start to learn from Him because you are resting in what He has done for you. You have now decided this is why salvation is surrender. You get to a point in your life where you say, that's it. I am lost outside of Christ. I have tried everything and there's nothing else for me. I want to come to Christ. I want Jesus in my life. Then He says, good. Here, you have eternal rest. But then He says, come on, buddy. Get with me in this yoke and let me teach you how to walk this walk. Let me show you what you got to go through every day. And he will because you are yoked with him. Hallelujah. Yes, 
And he says, learn from me. And when I read that about learning from him, it brought me to that scripture that I've known in Ephesians 5, 1 that says, be an imitator of God. And one thing I've learned from Pastor Randy is to look up those words and what it means in the Greek. That is so powerful, ain't it? Ephesians 5, 1, therefore be an imitator. You know what? That, that comes from the Greek. I'm probably going to murder the word. <laughs> this is how it's supposed to be. Is to imitate, I mean, to be an imitator of God is, to, is from the Greek mimetes or mimetes. That's where we get the word mimic. Think about that. The word of God is tell you, mimic God. So when Jesus says, come on, yoke with me, walk with me, learn from me, he's saying, hey, buddy, mimic, mimic, mimic. When I was a police officer back in the 80s and 90s, I was an FTO. You know what that is? I was a field training officer, FTO. You go through a special class, whatever hours it is, and then when the police department hires a newbie, they put him with you. Every department is different. They may put him with you for 12 weeks, 18 weeks, whatever it is, through a training period. And you realize that for the first few weeks of that training period, all you tell that guy is to do as I do. Learn from me. Mimic me. I will show you how to write a report. I will show you how to conduct a traffic stop. I will show you how to stand when you're talking to somebody. I will, that's what we do. We mimic. And, and then at the end of the FTO training program, we evaluate. We turn it around. See, first I'm driving with my rookie next to me. A few weeks later, he's driving, and I'm next to him. Now I'm no longer doing the traffic stops. He is, because I did him at first, and he just stood there as my backup, watching everything I did. And if I did anything wrong, I told him, hey, dude, this, I messed up here. Let's fix it. Next traffic stop, we're going to do it this way. This is a regular traffic stop. This is a felony traffic stop. This regular stops, you walk up to people carefully, because there could be anybody in the car want to kill you. You walk up to, the, to them this way. Because it's what we call the average, which is never an average. What we call the regular traffic stop. But when it's a felony takedown traffic stop, you don't walk out to them. You pull your gun and you start screaming and yelling for them to come out because they just robbed the bank. So you see, if that rookie wants to live, he better learn from me. Why don't you think that will apply to spiritual things too? That's why he says, yoke yourself to me. Learn from me. And then you will have that rest. Because then, now you are not resting on your own works. Now you are not resting on what you're going to do today or not going to do today. Now I'm running to Him. I'm resting in Him. And I start asking, all right, God, what do you want me to do today? That is so different on just running, running, and running your own life. Hallelujah. Are you getting anything out of this? Yeah. Come on. Woo, I'm getting a lot out of it. I'm learning. So, whew. I only got 20 pages to go. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. Hallelujah. Woo! Man, don't let anyone take your eyes off from Jesus. Amen. Anyone. Believe the simplicity of the gospel. Everything you ever needed is done. Stop comparing yourself to others. Uh, I have, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I have many, many times, and I'm going to be everyday guy today, when Pastor Randy preaches and he gets on fire, and then he asks me to speak, I'm like, hmm, but I'm not like him. He's so awesome. 
I want to be like him. <laughs> I mean, and then, and then you see these people in other churches, you know, and, and oh, this guy's running a ministry over here. Wow. Oh, oh, this guy's a pastor. Wow. Oh, this guy, he's a missionary. He, what about me? Oh, that's a wrong place to be, you know. Stop comparing yourself. Believe the simplicity of this gospel. Amen. You're in Christ now. Hallelujah. Don't let anyone or anything take your eyes away from Jesus. Remember that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Hear him, get to know him, follow him, and you will find rest. Woo. Hallelujah. God is good. So remember, mimic God. And I just saw my notes here. I forgot to tell you what that means. <laughs> to mimic somebody is to copy someone's voice, behavior, or appearance. Learn from me when you get yoked, says the Lord. Mimic me. Learn from me. Be like me. Speak like me. This is why the word of God says we walk by faith and not by sight. I'm not saying that we are to ignore what happens around us. If somebody hits you with a two by four on the back and you fall down and, and you crack a few ribs, you're not going to sit there and say, oh, that didn't happen. You know, that's foolishness. Okay. But what I'm talking about is we need to learn to walk in his word, to learn to believe his word. I had a real good friend of mine. Well, I can't say real good friend, but a good friend of mine. He died of cancer probably five, six years ago. And when he first got his cancer, you know, what do you call that diagnosis from the doctor? He started just speaking the word of God. He says, I believe I'm healed. I believe that I'm healed. I believe that I'm healed. And guess what? He died. So you, but you know, he never stopped believing that God's word is real. So, so bottom line is you believe the word regardless. Regardless. Because remember, this is not our home. This is not our eternal place of rest. John 10, 27 and 28 say, My sheep hear my voice. But what it says after that, and I know them. I know them. You know why Jesus can say, I know them? Because he is also outside of time. And he has seen from before the foundations of the world, he saw you already saved. Okay? He saw what was happening in 2022. Because of that, he says, I know them. And they, they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. But check out the last sentence in this verse. Mm. Hallelujah. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. When you come to Christ and you learn, oh man, what he has done in Calvary for me and for you. We received that. We understand it because that's the problem we have in a lot of churches is we get people saved, but we don't explain to them what it was covered on salvation. We need to take the time to train new believers what the Bible says and when we do that properly they will yoke themselves to Jesus and they will not be a mess like we see in so many churches because once they're yoked they start walking with him so when we do that they learn that no one can snatch me out of his hand and you can walk in that security and I'm not talking about a security that I'm better than you and I'm a child of God you're a heathen haha <laughs> no see because when you're yoked to him and you learn from him 
You imitate him so you don't speak like that. Amen. You know what he has done for you. So I know nothing can separate me. Nothing. He loved you. He removed your sin. He took the punishment for your sin. He made peace between you and God. He reconciled us to him. He destroyed the powers of darkness. He secured your salvation. He provided us with rest now and rest in eternity. My wife had a little thing in her office that gives you, what do you call that letters? Acronym? You got the R-E-S-T for rest. And I loved it. I put it down here because I thought it was so cute. Rest is to rely upon God. We're learning about that, right? E for expect His goodness. S, strip away all doubt. What's that? Believe. T, trust. Trust Him. His timing and His plan is perfect. A lot of times we go through things in our life that we, we weep before the Lord. We cry before the Lord. We ask questions like, why, Father, am I going through this right now? Why? And it's okay to ask why. But ultimately, you need to come to the decision in your life that His timing and His plans are perfect. And you got to rest in that. Because I'm telling you, I, and what, that's one of the great things about growing older, <laughs> is that you can look back in your life and you see things that happened to you. And back then, I was saying, God, where are you? But now I can look back and I say, there he was. There he was. And there he was. Because he's never left me. He's never abandoned me. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.